According to the archaeological records and historical records, each of the uh, stones that were there that, that, were, that were used to build the temple was about 1 to 1.5 meters long and wide, and each of them uh, could weigh tons. And then if you go down to the foundations, the, the larger ones go up to 6 meters uh, wide, and it weighs hundreds of tons. When the disciples were leaving the temple, they couldn't help but exclaim this in verse 1 and 2. Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. But Jesus sounds like a killjoy. Immediately he says, look, do you see all these great buildings? No one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And it happened in AD 66. Jewish people rebelled against the Roman rule. In AD 70, their response was swift and brutal. General Titus came and besieged Jerusalem until people started to, started to die of starvation. And one by one, the walls of Jerusalem came down and they came and destroyed the walls of the temple um, as well. Historian Josephus writes that estimated 600,000 to million people died, which couldn't be true because the, the, the Jerusalem back then couldn't hold that many people. But what is true is untold number of people starved to death, untold number of, of, of people were killed and were enslaved as a result of that war and destruction. And what's particularly traumatizing was the destruction of the temple. It was a way, it was an end of their way of life. It was the end of priesthood. It was the end of the sacrificial system. It was the end of the focal point of their culture. And from then on, well, everywhere Jewish people dispersed and the identity of Jewish people changed forever because of the destruction of the temple. And Jesus speaks of that day in Mark chapter 13. And as he speaks of that day, he speaks of another day. Another day that will change not just uh, the fate of the Jewish people, but fate of everyone in the whole world. Another day is coming, he says. And he tells us to get ready. Get ready. So three points from this text. Jesus is coming and he will come in glory. And as we prepare, avoid two extremes, two extremes, being too eager and being too laid back. And be alert and keep doing the work that God has assigned you to do. I'll cover more in detail of how Mark chapter 13 is organized. But in verses 24 to 40, 27, the first part is unmistakably about Jesus' second coming. Right? The sun will be darkened. The moon will, give, uh, will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavens will shake. It's cosmic. And we saw this last week when we talked about second coming. Then I saw the new heaven and new earth pass away. I mean, I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and first earth has passed away, had passed away. Jesus refers here in, in John, uh, Mark chapter 13, also uh, refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this is not a self-deprecating term. He's going back to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man sits right next to the throne of God and inherits all things for himself. Jesus then says that he, verse 27, that he would send out his angels 
to collect His elect from four corners of the earth. We confess every week that He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus is talking about that day when He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. Paul Kalanithi is a Stanford and Yale-educated neurosurgeon whose book, When Breath Becomes Air, was published in 2016 after his death. He died when he, at the age of 37. He writes of how his cancer diagnosis changed everything. He writes this, My ambitions are either achieved or abandoned. Either way, they, are, they belong to the past. The future, instead of the latter, future of the latter towards the goals of life, flattens out into a perpetual present. Money, status, all vanities of the preacher of Ecclesiastes described hold so little interest, a chasing after wind, indeed. Facing his breath, becoming air, just mere air. He says, he realizes how everything in the world is just chasing after the wind. Chasing after air, that means nothing. When we face death, of course, our priorities will change. And the second coming is the death of the whole humankind. It's the end of the world as we know it. And if we face the second coming, it should change our priorities, all of it. How? Now take a look at verse 27 again. I will send, uh, he will send his angels to collect his elect from the world. At the end of time, what we will realize is that our lives are not our own. That this world is not ours. Our, our time and energy, all that we have, uh, is, it should be in, lived in reference to him. God himself, the one who created and sustained and re redeemed the world, that our lives are his, and that we are his people, that we will answer to him. What would you do if you knew that the world was ending tomorrow? You know, the internet is filled with all sorts of things, and there are dozens and dozens of websites discussing um, this. I read a few. Uh, some said uh, that, you know, go out all hedonistic, you know, bliss. Go out and just enjoy yourself. Enjoy the last few hours. Uh, sort of the, the more sensible version of that. I mean, I thought it was moving. Uh, enjoy the last sunset. Enjoy the last uh, uh, sunrise, it said. The more sensible ones, I thought, said, reconcile. Reconcile with your loved ones. One whom, the people that you love, the people who you have wronged, reconcile with them. Say you're sorry. And spend the last few hours with your loved ones. Well, if the Son of Man will send His angels to gather His people, surely one of the first things we must do is to reconcile with Him. With this Son of Man who will come to judge us to redeem us, to collect us from the four corners of the earth. I was talking to a, a, a non-Christian recently and asked what he thought of Christianity. He mentioned that he had not yet seriously given it a thought. It's part of his life, but something, not something that he's given time to consider carefully. Friends, it's Advent. It's time when we give some serious thought to the fact 
that our lives are not our own, that this world is not our own, that it is God's and He will come back to claim it as His own. And when Jesus came the first time, He came as a baby in a barn. Why? Why does He come as a baby in a barn? Well, to invite all people to Himself. That Jesus isn't for some royals and the powerful and the rich um, out there, but it's for all. He is for all people. It's an invitation for all people to come to Him and be reconciled to Him. His humility is an invitation for us. But when He comes back, He will come back in cloud with great power and glory to judge the world if you're not yet a christian be reconciled to him say you're sorry say that i want to live my life your way in reference to you and not my own and if you are a christian of course remember this again and again in this season that our lives are to be lived as his people do all things for him to please him he is coming but as soon as we, stay, we say things like, He is coming, people start asking, when? When is He coming? Friends, we are to avoid two extremes here in preparing. One, feverishly waiting and predicting the date of His coming, or be so laid back or be skeptical that He'll ever come back. Jehovah's Witnesses began when Charles T. Russell predicted that the end of the world would take place in October 1914. That did not happen. And since then, the Watchtower Society has made seven predictions about the future, about the end of the world. None of them has come true. The predictions, they don't make predictions anymore. But they weren't the only ones who were making end-time predictions, right? The Millerites, uh, around the same time as the Jehovah's Witnesses, predicted the end of the world to come in 1844. Branch Davidians, remember that? It ended tragically in 1995. And recently, Harold Camping predicted the end of the world to be 2011. It got a lot of press coverage in the US. Of course, all these predictions are completely silly. Because what does Jesus say? Well, not even the angel, not even the Son of Man knows, only God the Father, what Jesus doesn't know. He's not given it to anybody else. No one knows we are to prepare for the day, not to predict, not to predict. We are to avoid this feverish prediction of end time prophecy, the day that he'll, uh, he'll come. So we're, we're to avoid that extreme. But the other extreme to avoid as well is to be skeptical and to think that it'll never happen. Some scholars point to verse 30, if you look there, um, as an embarrassing failure of Jesus' prediction. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, it's been 2,000 years. These things have not happened. He hasn't come back. So some say, well, he's never coming back. We are to guard against such skepticism. Let me explain. Chapter 13, it switches back and forth uh, between the destruction of the temple and the second coming. Back and forth as if they're two strands of the same cord. He does so because the destruction of the temple is a small picture of what is going to come in the future. 
It's the most horrific and the consequential event of their lifetime. And Jesus is saying something like that will happen in the future. Jesus speaks of the judgment of the temple in verses 1 to 23. And then he switches to the second coming, verses 24 to 27. We read a little bit of that, the, the sky darkening and things like that. Next is then the judgment of the temple that is coming within the disciples' lifetime. That's the verse 30. And then he switches back to the second coming to the ju- for him to come to judge the whole world, verses 32 to 37. Why? Switch back and forth. A commentator writes, Because just as a fig tree in leaf points to the nearness of the summer, so the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 tells us that the final judgment is just around the corner. Friends, one of these two events that Jesus predicted happened. It came true. Those massive stones, they were not, uh, they didn't stay in their place. That terrible day of the destruction of the temple came in AD 70. We are to trust him when he says the second coming is going to happen as well. Friends, all conditions of Jesus' second coming have been met. Elijah must come first. He came in the form of John the Baptist. Jesus has suffered and he died and he rose again. That's happened. The Holy Spirit was supposed to be poured out. That's happened. It's been poured out amongst the the, the Jews and the Gentiles, young and old, male and female. The temple was supposed to be destroyed. It has been destroyed. The disciples are going to be persecuted. Disciples have been persecuted. The gospel is to reach the ends of the earth. It has reached the ends of the earth. False prophets have arisen, sometimes with great signs and wonders. Friends, be prepared. It is going to happen. Whether it's today, 100 years, in 100 years, or 1,000 years, we should live our lives conscious of the fact that Jesus can come back any day. Remember Paul Kalinati? This is how he says that his cancer diagnosis changed his life. I began to realize that coming in such close contact with my own mortality had changed both nothing and everything. Before my cancer was diagnosed, I knew that someday I would die, but I didn't know when. After the, the diagnosis, I knew that someday that I would die, but I didn't know when. But now, I knew it acutely. The problem wasn't really a scientific one or that anymore. It changed nothing, and it changed everything. It changed nothing because, well, he knew that he was going to die. He just didn't know when. After the diagnosis, it was the same. He knew that he was going to die, but he didn't know when. But it wasn't a scientific, philosophical thought anymore. He knew it, he says, acutely. He started to think about his mortality. And that's what the season of Advent is about. We aren't to feverishly predict the date or uh, obsess over it. We aren't to, but we are also not to ignore it and be skeptical towards it. We are to think about it and think about it acutely, especially in this season. We are to think about how our lives should be changed in light of Jesus' second coming so that we will be ready for all seasons. Uh, Application, of course, Jesus gives it to us. 
says watch. He starts out with that, it ends with that. Be alert and keep watch. And that's how the text ends here. But what does that mean to keep watch? Well, Jesus, to explain, tells his story, starting verse 34, about the servant, master leaving his house, putting his servants in charge of the household. And the servants are supposed to continue on carrying the tasks that they had been given. What they're supposed to do is to keep going in the jobs that they have been given. As a friend of mine put it, watching means working. Watching means working. Watching means working uh, the task, the continue to work the task that God has given each one of us. When Jesus comes back, he will not quiz people and say, well, you were close and you were far off. That's not what he will do. What he will do is to take account of what we have been doing, whether we have been faithful in the work that God has given each of us to do. Church, what is the work that God has given you to do? How are we participating in God's mission for the world? We're assigned God's tasks in God's house as God's servants. First of all, is that how you think of yourself? That you're God's servant in God's house, God-given assignment? Is that uh, how you think of your job, how you think of your uh, time and energy and money and all of your life? That they're all gods and you are accountable to him in the church are we participating in building up the body of christ in telling others about jesus in building up the saints here in the world are we being salt and light of the world you don't have to we don't have to necessarily change our jobs but are we working in our jobs for god's glory and if you are what difference would that make i mean if you're a homemaker it makes a huge difference if you think of your children as your own, to raise your way, to accomplish your dreams or whatever, or are they God's children given to you for you to take care of? God's way, to raise them up in, as God's children. If they are God's children, your priorities would be different, right? What you do proactively, to, what are you doing to proactively instill faith in our children for them to have different priorities? And in the workplace, are we seeking to build God's culture there? When we encounter the poor and the sick and the vulnerable, do we respond in love and selflessness? There are two kinds of people in the world who look for God's coming, the second coming. The first is those who are suffering. Those who are suffering look forward to God's coming. In, in, in North Amer the North American slaves were constantly singing the spiritual spirituals about the second coming. They wanted their suffering to end. The book of Revelation is written for those who are being persecuted. And remember how it ends. It ends with Jesus saying, Yes, I am coming soon. And people answering, Come, Lord Jesus. Well, why do they long for the Lord's coming? Because they're being persecuted. They want this world to end. They want Jesus to come back and restore them. And the second group of people who look forward to the coming of Jesus are those who are proactively working to build God's kingdom here on earth. 
Can you imagine the peacemakers in Gaza right now? Uh, Gaza, Israel, trying to build peace. I'm sure they look forward to Isaiah chapter 9. The end time prophecy when God says every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. No more wars, it says. Aren't we people who are building peace? Aren't they looking forward to that day's coming? Those who are feeding the hungry are often overwhelmed with the needs of the world. They look forward, the hunger, forward to the day when the world hunger will be defeated. Even those who are fighting on their sins in their daily life. I don't know if you feel this way. I feel the sinfulness of my heart. I fight it every day. And as we fight, I think, when will this war end? How will, when will I get better? Well, it will get better when Jesus comes back. And when God creates me anew. In other words, those who are working proactively to bring God's kingdom to earth, to bring it to our hearts, to our lives, look forward to the day of his coming. Friends, if you don't think about the second coming, it might be because we aren't concerned about God's kingdom, but our own. If we aren't longing for Christ coming right now, it might be because we're too comfortable here and made our home here. Friends, this is Advent season. Let's remind ourselves to keep watch, to work, each with our assigned task for God's kingdom. According to this text, the biggest danger in waiting for second coming is not persecution, is not uh, suffering, it's not even false teaching. The biggest danger is falling asleep on the job. It's falling asleep on the job, neglecting the work that God has given to each of us if he comes suddenly. Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Friends, those temple stones, even the ones that weighed a hundred tons, came down, scattered all over. Jesus will come in glory. We are to be ready. We are to watch and keep working. Let's pray. Lord, we confess how so often we lose sight of the fact that we are yours. We're created out of overflow of your love. We're created to be loved by you. We're given this world, Lord, your world to take care of. Uh, we're uh, given tasks um, to serve the world, to uh, bring the, oh, the world its salvation, point to who you are. Um, in our, the task of evangelism and, and loving the people around us. Lord, help us um, to get us out of our own little kingdoms. Help us to see your kingdom, that the world belongs to you, that our lives and everything that we are is yours. Help us to live our lives, every part of our life, in reference to you. And help us to be ready. Help us to be watchful. 
Help us to continue in doing the work that you have assigned each of us to do. Lord, in this season of Advent, remind us that you are coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.